Though grandmother told us to stay away, we snuck down to the canal again. It's our favorite place to play. I like to tease the little fish that swim in the muddy shallows. Adela likes to weave reeds to make a crown and pretend that she's a princess. Sometimes we row to the island. Adela always stares down into the water like she's looking for something. Grandmother does not like the river. It's cursed, she says, evil. Then she scolds me for leading my little sister into danger. Grandmother tells stories while we make tortillas. Sometimes she talks about our ancestors who built a huge city on the lake hundreds of years ago. Other times she tries to frighten us with tales of spirits who live in the water. These stories don't scare me. They aren't true. But Adela believes every single word. She likes grandmother's stories about mermaids the best. Grandmother says that sometimes the mermaids choose a special person, someone with the blood of the ancient Aztecs to join them. Adela asks if we have Aztec blood running through our veins, but grandmother does not answer. She hugs us and makes us promise to never go near the river at night. Sometimes Adela will sit on the shore and stare out at the water. When I ask her what she's doing, she says that she's listening. She can hear our ancestors whispering in the wind. It's a secret. She makes me promise not to tell grandmother. I listen, and I hear nothing. My odd little sister. Yesterday, Papa came home from the city. He worked there, and we had not seen him in a long time. He brought presents. I got a soccer ball. Adela got a doll and named it Sirena, after the mermaids she loves. Adela and I skipped rocks across the water. She's getting better, but she's not as good as me. I got a rock to skip seven times before it sank. Adela claimed to see something big in the deep water, but I didn't see anything. We ran home in time for dinner. When we went to bed, Adela couldn't find Serena. Somewhere on the way home, she had lost her. Adela started to cry. She thought that Papa was going to be angry. I hugged her, promising that we would sneak out early in the morning to go look for her doll. It was still dark when we tiptoed out of the house. We walked along the shore with a torch looking for Serena. I thought I saw something floating in the middle of the river, but it was hard to tell. As we rode out to see what it was, Adela said she heard singing. She asked me if I heard it, but I didn't. The rowboat scraped against something. I cursed, words that grandmother washes my mouth out for. I thought we had hit a sandbar. I tried to row my oar, but it was stuck, probably in the mud. Adela leaned over the edge of the boat, staring down into the water. I looked down. A big black shadow swam next to us. Something grabbed my oar. It yanked, but I wouldn't let go. I yelled for Adela to help me, but she didn't move. 
She was still staring down into the water. I yelled at her again. She got to her feet. Suddenly, I could hear it too. Faint singing in the distance. Adela had a strange look in her eyes. She said she was a princess and the mermaids were here for her. Before I could stop her, she jumped straight into the river. I screamed, but Adela disappeared into the black water with hardly a ripple. Whatever was holding onto my oar finally let go. Welcome to Haunted Places. I'm Greg Polson. Every other Thursday, I take you to the scariest, eeriest, most haunted, real places on Earth. This week, join me on a supernatural journey to the sinister island of the dolls. To this day, it's haunted. If you can't get enough haunted places, don't forget to subscribe. You can find us on your favorite podcast directory, as well as on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, and on Twitter at Parcast Network. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. Allegedly, since the time of the conquistadors, people have used the Xochimilco canals to dump bodies and hide their misdeeds. Once, a vast region of waterways connected the settlements of the Mexico Valley. This canal system was built by the indigenous tribes in the pre-Hispanic period, mainly for transportation and agriculture. In the 16th century, the Spanish built Mexico City on the ruins of the conquered Aztec capital, Tenochtitlan, filling in many of the waterways. Today, only a sliver of the former chattels remains. Sadly, the canals are in decline due to pollution and a dropping water table. This mainly rural area was declared a World Heritage Site by UNESCO in 1987. Upon the declaration, Mexico rehabilitated the canals, ultimately making them more accessible. Tourists began making the hour-long trip from central Mexico City to enjoy the scenic canals. Aside from being famous for its unique flora and fauna, the Xochimilco canals have a long and spooky history. Legend has it that the waters are haunted by evil spirits, the ghosts of the murdered who wish to exact vengeance on the living. Some claim the ghosts want to steal your body, while others claim that they're only interested in stealing your soul. Other legends say that Living in the dark waters of the canals are mermaids who will try to lure humans to a watery grave. There are also rumors of river monsters, perhaps enormous snakes who drag people down into the muddy depths. Dotting the canals are man-made islands called chinampas, or floating gardens, originally created for growing crops. The spookiest and most famous chinampa of the Xochimilco canals is the Island of the Dolls. Located deep in the canals, just a few hours away from the mainland by rowboat, hundreds of dolls decorate a small wooded island. The Island of the Dolls was discovered in late 1980s, early 1990s by the outside world. From then on, 
tourists slowly started to regularly trickle in. Previously, it was just a small island avoided by the locals, where a crazy hermit lived. The Island of the Dolls is the stuff of nightmares. As you walk the woods of the island, the dolls seem to stare at you. They're nailed to trees, dangling from branches. Some are strung up on clothesline and swing desolately in the wind. Many of the dolls are incomplete, mutilated, missing limbs or an eye. Some are decapitated. A pall of unease seems to hang all over the place. You walk silently as possible. You feel the need to be quiet. Left exposed to the elements, the dolls have started to deteriorate. Cheerful painted faces have distorted in the rain. Fabric bodies are splotched with mold spores. Plastic heads are melted and misshapen due to the hot sun beating down. Insects have taken up residence in some dolls. Hair is matted and festooned with spider webs. All are coated in layers of dirt. The entire time you're on the island, the hair on your neck prickles. You feel like you're being watched. The hundreds of dolls, looking much like taxidermied babies, have created a macabre atmosphere on the island. Who would do such a thing, and why? For that answer, we turn to the island's caretaker, the reclusive Don Julian Santana Barrera. Soon after coming to the small, uninhabited island in the 1950s, Don Julian had an experience that changed the course of his life and the island forever. Even before he came to the Xochimilco canals, Don Julian was a mysterious figure. Some say he was a radical Christian preacher who was run out of Mexico City. Others say that after becoming the loser in a bitter love triangle, he chose to leave the city. Soon after Don Julian built his hut on the island in the early 1950s, he saw a young girl drowning. Unfortunately, he was unable to save her. Some say the girl had already drowned, and Don Julian merely found her body drifting in the water near his island. Either way, Don Julian was deeply affected. He began hearing mysterious noises on the island. Whispers. Crying. Not long after the incident of the drowned girl, Don Julian found a doll floating in the river. Assuming that the doll belonged to the dead girl, Don Julian fished it out of the water. Wishing to honor her spirit, he hung the doll on a tree. This is how Don Julian's 50-year obsession began. He couldn't sleep. He tossed and turned. The quiet of the island made Don Julian uneasy. He was used to the noise of the city. When he closed his eyes, he saw her. The girl. Her black hair swirled around her. She drifted in the shallows, bloated, her glassy eyes accusing Don Julian. Sorry, he thought. I'm so sorry I couldn't save you. Don Julian turned over again. It was pitch black on the island. No lights and no other humans for miles. He wondered if he should go back to the city and lose himself in the crowds. The island seemed unfriendly, 
like it didn't want him there. Don Julian woke up early the next morning, still tired, his eyes gritty. His dreams had been troubling. He huddled by his campfire and drank strong black coffee. The tropical heat made digging hard as Don Julian worked to clear a plot of land for his crops. His shoulder muscles ached, but he felt a sense of pride when he stopped to lean on his shovel and survey the small patch of turned-over earth. That's when he noticed that the birds had quit singing. In fact, the entire forest had gone silent. A cold trickle of sweat ran down the back of Don Julian's neck. There, he saw a flash of clothing among the trees. Someone was coming towards him. Don Julian dropped his shovel and ran mindlessly for the shore. Don Julian leaped into his rowboat and pulled hard, rowing away from the island. He peered back at the shore, expecting the drowned girl to come floating out of the woods. A small voice in the back of his head mocked him for being so silly, for being less than a man. But he couldn't explain the wailing he heard, the feeling of being watched. Finally, Don Julian calmed down. He was clearly alone in a rowboat in the middle of a bright, sunlit river. Tomorrow he would gather his things and leave the island. Hopefully the ghost of the little girl would leave him alone then. His stomach rumbled, and he realized that he was hungry. Don Julian cast his line into the water, hoping to catch some fish for a late lunch. He felt in his pocket and found his cigarettes and matches. He lit a cigarette, leaned back, getting comfortable. At first, he thought it was a trick of the light. Don Julian shaded his eyes to see better. No, he thought. Something unusual was floating in the water. Curiosity outweighed Don Julian's fear. He stripped off his clothes and swam out to retrieve the object. It was a doll. Cute. It had staring painted eyes, chubby cheeks, and moss stuck in its sodden curly hair. Back in the rowboat, Don Julian carefully dried the doll off with his shirt. He wondered if it belonged to the ghost girl. Maybe that was why she'd been wailing. Don Julian studied the doll as he cooked and ate his lunch. It sat propped up against a stone across from him, looking solemn. If the ghost girl was crying for her lost doll, how could he give it back to her? Don Julian drove a nail into a tree and hung the doll on it. Though he did not pray much, he decided to pray for the soul of the girl. Over the next few days, Don Julian continued to plant crops. At night, he lay awake, straining to hear wailing or any other sound. But the island was silent. When he finally fell asleep, he had nightmares. Mermaids called to him from the river. Things chased him through the woods. Don Julian always woke up just before they got him. Each time he passed the doll, he nodded or said a quick prayer. He found the island to be lonely and relished seeing another face, even if it was only painted on. 
Don Juliet imagined the little girl was pleased that he would treat her doll with such deference. One morning, Don Julian woke up on the ground in front of the doll. He panicked, realizing that he had sleepwalked. The doll's painted eyes stared at him. He heard her voice in his head, telling him that she would keep him safe from the bad spirits that haunted his dreams, that she would protect him. They would not steal his soul, but he must obey. He needed to go to the trash heap and find another forsaken doll. Don Julian hung the second doll on a tree across from the first doll. She was missing a leg. The curly-haired doll was pleased to have a new friend. Don Julian rarely went to town after that. The people in the market made him nervous. They gossiped behind his back, saying that he was crazy for collecting dolls. Don Julian knew he was not crazy. The dolls told him many secrets and protected him from the evil spirits that lurked in the canal. They were his children. After years, Don Julian's back ached constantly. It was hard for him to scavenge at the dump like he used to. But then, tourists started coming to his island and bringing him dolls. He proudly showed off his children to the visitors. Each doll was precious. Depending on who you ask, the dolls protected Don Julian from the spirit of the drowned girl and other evil spirits who sought to lure Don Julian to a watery grave. Others claim that Don Julian sought to appease the bad spirits, and the dolls were vessels for the spirits to live in. For all we know, those evil spirits live inside the dolls to this day, hiding behind their painted smiles, waiting for a chance to strike. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. Now, the story continues. Don Julian lived on the island for 50 years, constantly adding to his collection of dolls. Some he rescued from the dump, others he traded crops for at the market. He hung the dolls on trees and strung them on wire. In his hut in the woods, he kept his most beloved dolls, building altars for them. He made little sunglasses and tiny accessories for them. Over time, the island took on a foreboding aura. It began to look like a demented wonderland for twisted children. Though he didn't intend it, Don Julian and his island became a sensation. Since the early 1990s, tourists have come to Xochimilco to visit the island of the dolls. Over the years, more and more visitors from all over the world have come, spurred on by pictures they've seen online. During the 1990s, Don Julian, who was now quite elderly, took tourist interest in stride. He showed visitors around the island and charged a small fee to take pictures with them. Many tourists brought coins and flowers or trinkets for the dolls. Other tourists even brought their own dolls to leave on the island. Some visitors specifically came to the island of the dolls to make offerings to Don Julian's favorite doll, known as La Muneca. Found on August 28th, St. Augustine's Day, she's considered miraculous and has been asked for wishes by visitors. In 2001, Don Julian was found dead 
in the river at the exact spot where he said to have found the drowned girl 50 years previously. Despite rumors that the evil spirits had finally come for him, the elderly Don Julian's official cause of death was heart failure. Now that Don Julian has passed, his nephew shows tourists around the island. Here's a story about one tourist's visit to the island. Mexico City is smoggy, chaotic, and traffic congested. It's a relief when the train arrived to Xochimilco. You wander through the open-air market, charmed, taking pictures. This is why you gave up your office job to eke out a living as a freelance travel blogger. Someday you'll worry about your anemic 401k, but not today. While the sun shines brightly and the giggling children follow you, hoping you'll give them American candy. An old woman wearing charm bracelets grabs your arm and whispers at you. You brush past her. In every country, there's always some fake fortune teller who claims to know the wildest dreams of your life. You check your backpack to make sure she didn't have sticky fingers. Your Spanish isn't the greatest, but you manage to interpret some of her words. They are alive. Hmm. You buy a quesadilla stuffed with squash blossoms from a grinning woman. You also buy some pulque, but the sour Aztec liquor makes your head spin, so you switch to cola. Eschewing the colorful trajinata, a gondola-like boat which has a mariachi band playing, you hire a young man with a motorboat. You aren't in a partying mood, and you're eager to get to this island you've heard so much about. The young man proves to be a great guide. He speaks English pretty well. As you travel down the river, he tells you about the history of the canals. His family has lived here for hundreds of years. In fact, he claims to be able to trace his heritage back to the Aztecs. You take it all in. The hot, green smell of the lush vegetation. The birds. The desolate, ancient canals. The deep boom of a drum suddenly rolls across the water. The guide claims that this is the drum of ancestral spirits warning the living. Warning the living about what, you ask? The guide shrugs. He doesn't know. A chill runs down your spine as you get your first look at the Island of the Dolls. Strung between trees like deranged Christmas garlands are dolls. All sizes of doll. Tiny ones made for cuddling and larger toddler-sized dolls with movable limbs. Sun-faded, flaking, melting plastic flesh, spiderweb matted hair, vacant painted eyes. Dolls. Creeped out but delighted, you snap away with your camera. Your guide pulls up to the dock. He will not set foot on the island because of the evil spirits, but he will pick you up an hour before sunset. Do not be late, he warns. He will not wait. Bad things happen in the dark, says the guide as he crosses himself. You roll your eyes, but thank him. You wander, taking pictures, trying to capture the aura of the dread that permeates the island. The ants that crawl across the fixed plastic eyes. The larvae that wiggle from between rosebud lips. 
the black mold creeping up dirty fabric flesh. What creeps you out the most is the altar. Disembodied doll heads stapled to a tree, a half circle of mason jars ringing the trunk, pickled corn and mushrooms and murky liquid offered up as a sacrifice. To whom? What? Ancestral drums snap you out of your reverie. You look around and notice that the shadows are beginning to lengthen. You check your phone, but the battery's dead. Squinting at the sun, you figure you have just enough time to visit the hermit's hut before hiking back to the dock. You get a little lost while hiking through the woods. You're sure you've gone in circles before you finally spot the hut in the clearing. This is where Don Julian, the hermit of the island, lived and kept his favorite dolls. It smells inside the stuffy hut, like sweat and fear and sickly sweet incense. Dolls are everywhere. Strung up on wires, hanging across the ceiling, piled in corners. These dolls fare better than their outside counterparts, but most still have mildew creeping up their torsos. You happily snap away. There are going to be some fantastic shots for your Instagram. The sound is loud, almost like someone's drumming right outside the hut. You jump, dropping your camera. Luckily, it's not a strap around your neck. One more good shot, and then you're leaving. You quickly look around the room. Your eyes fall on a doll stapled to the wall. The doll wears a grimy pink bunny onesie with long rabbit ears sprouting out of the hood. The doll has a limp felt carrot in one hand, and streaks of dirt are smeared across its freckled cheeks. Two front teeth are bared in a grotesque grin. Its long-lashed eyes are closed. <laughs> this is it. Your pick of this doll is going to go viral. It'll bring in a ton of new fans for your travel blog. You look at the doll through the camera's viewfinder, and you frown when you realize that you need your flash. It's getting dark. Oh, that's okay. You know the path now, and you can quickly jog all the way back to the dock and catch your boat. Just one more shot. You decide to make it a selfie. The ancestral drums are absolutely deafening. You're focused on the shot you're about to take. You stoop and position yourself in front of the doll so it's just over your right shoulder. You stretch out your arm and smile for the camera. As you take the picture, you sense movement behind your head. You hear. You run. You run as fast as you can. Heart pounding, lungs straining. You run. Bushes tear at your clothes and branches snag your hair. The dolls in the trees seem to grin and whisper. You run and you don't look back. Your guide is leaving as you reach the shore. You take a running leap and make it aboard the motorboat. All the way back to the mainland, you're silent. Your guide doesn't want to seem to talk either. You go to a cantina near your hostel. Though you're glad to be around people, you sit at a table in the corner alone. After choking down a couple of cold beers and a greasy taco, you finally look through the pictures you took today. Cold sweat trickles down your spine 
as you click through the frightening pictures you took at the Island of the Dolls. You finally get to the last shot, the selfie of you and the bunny doll. Soulless blue orbs glare from a malevolent face over your left shoulder. The doll's hands are blurry, reaching out towards your neck. Some tourists claim to have heard chanting, wailing, or even dolls laughing during their visit to the Island of the Dolls. Others felt like they were being watched while they were on the island, like the dolls stared them down. A few say that they have seen the dolls move on their own, turning their heads or twisting their limbs. Others claim to have heard mysterious thunder or drums, which has been interpreted as the drumming of ancestors. Whether the drumming is a threat or warning is left up to the listener. No tourist has ever captured a doll moving in a picture or video, to our knowledge, that is. Locals call the island cursed and say that the dolls are possessed by evil spirits. They warn against visiting the island. No good can come of it, they say. The dolls come alive at night. Some locals believe that the spirit of the drowned girl still roams the island, and the spirit of Don Julian has now joined her. What is so fascinating about this sinister island? Why does it resonate with people from all over the world? Dolls have been around for millennia. Dolls thousands of years old have been unearthed in archaeological digs. Dolls cross cultures and social classes. Dolls are meant to mimic us. They're miniature versions of humans, often used in imagination play. Maybe that's what makes dolls so disturbing. They have creepy, almost lifelike faces. They're like us, but they're not us. From birth, humans learn to read and react to emotions in the faces of other humans. Dolls have a single fixed emotion and neither respond to nor give off cues. Ultimately, that can make humans uneasy. Even when dolls have a happy expression, it's still easy for us to project emotions onto them. Popular culture has tapped into these fears and even exploited them. Creepy and sometimes allegedly haunted dolls are big business on eBay and Etsy. Who can forget Chucky? Red-headed, smart-mouthed, and possessed by a serial killer. Or murderous talky Tina of the Twilight Zone fame. Or even Annabelle, star of the popular Conjuring series, an antique porcelain doll who brings death to all who own her. We'll return to our story in just a moment. And now, back to Haunted Places. We end with one of the most well-known Mexican folk legends, La Llorona, or The Weeping Woman. Allegedly, this was supposed to have taken place at the canals of Xochimilco, once again, he stumbled home full of booze, stinking of cheap perfume. He's cheating on me. Me, who was the prettiest girl in town when we wed. Me, who could have had her pick of all the men, but stupidly chose to marry for love. Love. Ha! What is love when your soft hands grow rough from the washing? What is love when your once smooth skin 
wrinkles over worries about money. I have done everything. I have cooked and cleaned and kept house. I have stretched our budget when he would drink our money away. I went to the priest. He said, patience, my child, and merely prayed for me. I came home to find that my husband had found the pesos I had managed to hide and bought her a trinket. In the marketplace, I purchased a love charm from the folk healer. I held my head high, though the other women in the town whispered behind my back. She is not so proud now, they say. The love charm didn't work. My husband still went out. What can I do? My parents will be shamed if I returned home. Many nights I beg him to stay, stay home with his family. When he is home, he is such a good papa. After dinner, the children sit in his lap. He tells Miguel and Graciela stories about princesses, cities of gold, and magic talking animals. You should see how the children's eyes shine. Tonight, again, he stumbled home drunk. I screamed that he was ripping our family apart. He called me a nag and said he was leaving me. She was younger, kinder, prettier. She did not yell. He would take my children and go to her. He collapsed on the bed in a sweaty, drunken heap. From experience, I knew he would sleep late until the next day. My heart hurt and I pulled the cover over him. He stirred and said, Oh, no. Even now, his last thought before sleep was of her. He used to whisper my name like that. I washed my face to calm down. I studied my reflection in the mirror. The years had taken their toll. His words were like burning daggers to my heart. Younger, prettier, kinder. She would play mother to my children. No, I would not allow that to happen. They were mine, my children. Suddenly, I knew what I had to do. I scooped up Graciela from her crib and shook Miguel awake. I told him I had a surprise and we must be quiet. We tiptoed out of the house. The moonlight was bright as we hurried across the plaza. We walked through the street and down to the canal. Miguel looked up at me with sleepy, dark eyes, so like his father's. Mama, where are we going? To heaven, I said. I lifted Graciela from my shoulder and flung her out into the river. I grabbed Miguel and held him under. He twisted, screamed, gagged. He kicked me in the mouth, and I tasted blood. Eventually, he quit struggling and sank into the black water. Graciela didn't even wake before the river claimed her. They were my children, and he would not take them away from me. The water was smooth and still now. I looked at my reflection. I looked crazy. Tangled hair. Blood dripped from my cut lip. My eyes were wild. Younger, prettier, kinder. 
she would have him, but she would not have my children. But I would not have my children either. Oh God, what have I done? I sank to my knees in the mud. What have I done? Little Graciela, who followed her older brother everywhere. My Miguelito, what have I done? I walked into the canal, the water lapping at my ankles. My poor babies. I paddled into the deep and let my heavy skirt drag me down. The water closed over my head, cold and murky. I strained against my instinct to fight and opened my mouth. The water rushed down my throat. I welcomed the burn in my lungs. My last thought was of Graciela sucking her thumb and Miguel's gap-toothed grin as I was pulled down into the dark. <coughs> Sometime later, I awoke on the shore. I painfully got to my feet. How was it possible that I survived? I wanted to die, be reunited with my little ones. It was foggy, but there was a golden light in the distance. I walked towards it. As I got closer, I saw that it was a shining gate. Was this heaven? Would I see my sweet babies again? Suddenly, a man in white, holding a golden spear and shield, blocked my path. His face was like stone, and flames burned in his eyes. Though his lips moved, his voice spoke in my head. Where are your children? he asked. I began to cry, not knowing how to confess the evil thing I did. You shall not pass until you come with your children, said the man. The man and the shining gate suddenly faded away, and I was left alone in the mist. I searched and I searched, but I could not find my poor children. Exhausted, I sat at the shore and wept. Bitter tears trickled down my face. Suddenly, the laughter of children caught my attention. Further down the shore, children splashed in the shallows. Maybe any child would suffice to get me into heaven. Any drowned child I could claim as my own. La Llorona is said to have one foot in the spirit world and one foot in the living world. She remains trapped, forced to wander until she can bring her children to the gates of heaven. She appears on foggy nights near lakes or rivers. Those who hear her wails are said to experience misfortune. In some versions of the legend, La Llorona kidnaps wandering children. She asks for forgiveness and then drowns the children to take the place of her own. Mexican parents have famously used La Llorona to warn their children from going out after dark. They worry that their children will suffer the same fate as the little girl Don Julian found. The mysterious canals of Xochimilco, the last vestige of proud empires long conquered. 
Evil spirits and mermaids lurk in her muddy waters. Home to a haunted island that memorializes a man's lifetime obsession. The island of the dolls. It repels, and yet fascinates. Tapping into our deepest fear about what it means to be human. Do the eyes of the dolls follow visitors as they walk around the island? Do the dolls come alive at night and talk to each other? Are they possessed by evil spirits? Or are visitors simply falling prey to long-buried secret fears from their childhoods? Does the favored La Muñeca really grant wishes? The only way to find out is to visit and see if she likes your offering. Thanks for listening to Haunted Places. Don't forget to subscribe to Haunted Places on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or any other podcast directory. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review or tell us what you think on social media. We're on Facebook and Instagram as at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. It seems simple, but it really helps our show. A new episode comes out every other Thursday. We'll see you then. Haunted Places was created by Max Cutler. It is a production of Cutler Media and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Ron Shapiro. With production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Haunted Places is written by Candace Rogers. I'm Greg Polson. <laughs>